You know, as we're looking at the division and the violence right now, many people are asking, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much devastation? And where is God? Where is God in the midst of all of this? Why isn't he doing something? These are hard questions. They're haunting questions. But before we ask those questions, they're not, they're not anything new for us. 2,600 years ago, there was a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. And he asked many of these same questions as he cried out to God. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why are you silent? If you read the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, it begins in chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 by saying, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I cry for help and thou will not hear? I cry out to thee violence, yet thou dost not save. Why dost thou make me to see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk calls his message an oracle. It's a word that literally means a burden. It, it, it shows this message that God has given to him is a weighty one. It's, it, it's one that's hard to bear. And as he's talking about these things, as he looks at the pain of injustice, he's lamenting. And lamenting is something that we should all be doing right now. Lamenting is important for us to do as we look at the injustice in the world around us. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6.2, you who are spiritual, bear one another's burdens. It tells us in Romans 12 to weep. With those who weep, people are hurting right now. People are grieving. And it takes time. Some are saying, well, we need to get past this. We need to get back to, to normal. We need, we need things just to be over. Friends, we don't need to get back to normal. We don't want to go back to the way things were. Things need to change. There has been injustice. There is change that has to happen. And as people are talking about, well, there's injustice in the minority community. What about the injustice in the rest of the world, in the rest of the community? What about the police? You know, the police are suffering right now, too. There are four police officers who have been killed in the rioting. There are two more who are on life support from injuries they've sustained. Outside of the rioting, there have been three other police officers who have been killed in the line of duty. There are hundreds that have been injured. There are 11 other people who are not police officers who have been killed in what is happening. And this isn't about saying, well, who has the highest body count? We should be grieving. We should be lamenting all of these lives that are lost, all of these lives that have been impacted. I've told you last week that I served as a police officer in Dallas, and here's a picture of my time on the force. And the last time I showed this picture in church was four years ago. Uh, In 2016, you'll remember that uh, in Dallas, there were five police officers who were ambushed and killed in the Black Lives Matter march, and I was called to Dallas to help uh, minister to the officers and to deal with the funerals and things that were taking place in Dallas. And when I returned from Dallas, having been a part of those funerals, been around the community that was grieving, uh, I preached a sermon on racial injustice. I preached a sermon on hatred. And in that message, I talked about how we need to examine our hearts. We need to all look within and look at if there's any hidden hypocrisy, if there's any sin in our own hearts. 
there's a lot that I want to say today, and I don't have enough time to say it all. So rather than re-preach that part of the scriptures that I've already covered, what we're doing is we're posting that sermon online linked to this one. If you're live streaming right now, on, you'll see at the bottom of the live stream page that that sermon is already available, and you can click on that after this one and, and watch that message. For the rest who are here, we're going to be linking it when this sermon is uploaded to the sermon section of our website. So again, I would encourage you to go and listen to it because looking at our own hearts is an important part of what we're talking about today. You know, I hurt for what's happening. I hurt as a former police officer for all the policemen and women who are hurt and injured and killed in what is happening. As a former officer, I hurt when I hear about bad cops like the four in Minneapolis who committed the crime against George Floyd And I can tell you that there are about 800,000 law enforcement officers in America. And the majority of those are good men and women who are compassionate, serve with integrity. And every single one of those officers is angry. Every single one of those officers is mad about the crime that had been committed as George Floyd was killed. And they want justice, just as others in society do. But as we're angry, as we're looking, as we're talking about these things, again, we need to go to the scriptures because in Ephesians 4.26, we're told to be angry, but do not sin. In Romans 12.21, we're told, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There should be protests, but there should not be the looting, the burning, the injuring of others that is happening. That is not protesting. That is not justice. This is not a license to go out and perform criminal acts because we're angry. God tells us in Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now this brings us back to Habakkuk's question. When? When, God? When are you going to act? As he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and thou will not hear? You know, it can feel like God is silent in those times. We can see the injustice and we can say, where is God? What is he doing? God is not silent. God sees what is happening and God is at work. As we're reading the words of Habakkuk that were written 2,600 years ago, the context of what Habakkuk was writing is that the, the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. They had rebelled against God. They had gone away. The ten northern kingdoms that had split from the southern kingdoms had already been carried away into captivity because of their their turning their back on God. And God had raised up not just Habakkuk, but another prophet by the name of Jeremiah. You can read his book in the Old Testament as well. He was called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because for 40 years he was going around preaching about the sin, the injustice, the things happening. And he was warning the the apostate southern kingdom, if you don't turn back to God, you are going to be judged just as the northern tribes were judged. And rather than repenting, rather than listening and turning back to God, they threw Jeremiah into prison. The the Jewish king in power at the time was a godless man who was worse than all the kings before. As 2 Kings 24 says, The sins of Manasseh, according to all that Jehoiakim had done, and also for the innocent blood which he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. Do you see why Habakkuk is saying violence? He says even the king 
who's supposed to be upholding the law is hurting people. And this is exactly what we saw in Minneapolis with the four officers who were supposed to be upholding the law and instead they committed a crime and George Floyd lost his life. And as we think about these things happening, it can be easy to say, well, God doesn't care or accusing him of failing to act. But long before you and I were mad, long before Habakkuk was asking these questions of how long, it was God himself who was saying, how long? How long before you turn to me? When God delivered the people of Israel from slavery and oppression they faced in Egypt, and then he watched over them in the wilderness, meeting their every need, the people responded not in gratitude, but with grumbling and rebelling. And so God wrote in Exodus 16:28, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? When God brought the people into the promised land, rather than doing as God called them to do, they turned their back on God's and on, on God, Jehovah in heaven. And so the Lord said in Numbers 14, 11, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite the signs which I have performed in their midst? When we want to say, God, why haven't you dealt with evil? Where is your justice? Why aren't you doing something about the things we're seeing? We need to turn to 2 Peter 3, 9, because there it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, it's not that God doesn't care. The fact of the matter is he cares so much that he's not yet acted. Because he knows when he unleashes his justice, when he wipes out evil, there will be uh, people that will be judged. There will be suffering that will happen. And because of his mercy and grace, he he is holding it back so more people can come to know him before this terrible time of judgment. Over a hundred years before Habakkuk cried out violence, why don't you do something to save us? God sent another prophet by the name of Isaiah who wrote in Isaiah chapter 53 about what God was doing to save us, what God was doing to deal with the injustice in the world. It tells us there how he would send the Messiah, his own son, Jesus Christ, to die a violent death, to be beaten, mocked, crucified at the hands of godless men. It's what we see described the fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 through 23, where it says, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Habakkuk said the law is ignored. And this is why Jesus Christ had to come. God's law had been broken. The Bible is clear, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When it says the law is ignored, it is a word that literally means to grow numb. It it describes uh, what happens if you've ever been in a really cold place and you take your gloves off and your hands start to grow numb from the cold and they become non-functional. You can't even hold something with your hands. And and this is what has been happening uh, to people's hearts as they've grown cold to God, as we've turned from following him and his laws. And as a result, the whole system of righteousness, the whole system of protection has broken down. It's been happening here in America 
It's been happening all throughout the world as we've rejected God and his ways. There's a, a popular saying going around right now that you've probably seen where it says, the issue is sin, not skin. And the answer is grace, not race. Now, some people read this and they go, I don't like that. It's too simple. You can't take this complex issue of racism and injustice and and sum it up with this nice little saying, the issue is sin, not skin, and the answer is grace, not race. But actually you can because this is the whole issue right here. The whole issue of racism is that it is a rejection of who God is and how he wants us to live. And at the root of this issue is our enemy, Satan. Friends, I want to be very clear here. This is not an issue of the battle of the right versus the left. If you think this is a political issue of the ultra-right and the ultra-left, then you're wrong because behind all of this is our enemy, Satan. This is a spiritual battle of light versus darkness. This is a battle between the one the Bible calls the destroyer, the father of lies, who is Satan, and God the Father in heaven. Because at the core of this entire issue is Genesis 127, which says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This is an issue of what uh, the term that theologians use is the Imago Dei. That's a Latin translation of what the image of God is. And as we look at this issue here, every human being bears the divine image of God. And when I say that racism is an issue of sin, not skin, this is what it is. It is taking the individual and looking at the externals and categorizing, labeling, judging, and separating man from woman, black from white, uh, Hispanic from Asian, Indian from others, where we say that this this is, you know, you're different than me. We are not different. We are all created in the divine image of God. We all bear eternal value. Every person, all of humanity is equal in dignity, value, and worth. And when we understand this truth... That is the solution for racism. It will stop this issue of racism. You know, the world likes to label people. The world likes to put people in categories. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is only one label, only one category created in the image of God. When we see people for who they are, those who bear the divine creator's worth and value, then this issue of racism racism will stop. As we're talking about people and value, I want you to watch this video. This is a video of uh, a protest that recently happened outside of Chicago. I want you to watch this and then I'm going to talk about it. I had a speech written in my pocket, but I'm not going to read it anymore. I want to tell y'all a story. Two nights ago, I cried. I cried myself to sleep. Because I felt hopeless. I called my friend in the middle of the night wondering if I have worth as a black man. I shouldn't have to do that, but America's made me do that. Come on. Come on. It's okay. Be real. Be real. And I got to be real with y'all right now. Come on. We got to use our voice. Instagram post ain't enough. Snapchat post ain't enough. We got to use our voice right here. We ain't going to get through this. I'm killing 
Please! As you saw that video, what were you thinking? What did you think of that man? Were you thinking, well, that's an angry black man? Were some of you thinking, I'm scared if I were to encounter him on the street? Others of you may have been thinking, well, I think he's scared. I mean, he even said it. He said, I cried myself to sleep. I called a friend in the middle of the night and I wondered if I had worth as a black man. I know it was hard to hear because of the way he was passionate, but he wasn't calling on people to riot. Instead, what he said is, we aren't going to get through this by killing and fighting each other. We are going to get through this by peace. As I watched that video, I was sad. I was very sad as I watched that video. And I was especially sad, not just because of what I saw, but I was extremely sad because I know that man personally. His name is Justin. And this is a picture of Justin and myself a few years ago. Justin and his mom, Chanel, had moved from Chicago to come to San Antonio. And they became they started to become part of Wayside. They started attending the church here. I met them at Wayside initially, and then because Justin didn't have a father in his life, just as I grew up without a father, uh, I wanted to be a mentor in his, his life, so we formed a connection, not just as the pastor of this church with a young man in our church, but there you see a picture from a scout camp where we spent a week together uh, at, at a summer camp. And I knew Justin from school. He, he was a fellow classmate of some of my kids. And so uh, I got to know Justin very well. And when I saw that video of him saying, I have no value because I'm black. My life doesn't matter because I'm black. It cut deeply. He is a fine young man. He's a brother in Christ. And he is an image bearer of the divine. And his life is valuable in God's eyes and it should be valuable in society's eyes. When I saw that video, I sent uh, his mom a message for Justin. And I quoted Genesis 127 about how he was created in the image of God. And I told him he has eternal value and worth. I told him that God loves him and so do I. And Chanel sent back and said, we're going to post that verse in the house. We needed to hear that. And I asked her, could I show that video here at Wayside? Could you get permission from Justin for me to show the video as well? And they both said, absolutely. Now, why do I show you that video? Because I want you to understand what relationship means. Because I have a relationship with Justin, because I know him personally. When I saw that video, I didn't immediately put him in a category. I knew him. I knew his heart. And maybe now that I've told you that he and I have a relationship, you may view that video differently. If you were to see it now, knowing that, you might say, I don't see 
an angry man. I don't see somebody I'm scared of. I don't see all these things that I asked you earlier. What you're saying is I see a person of eternal value and worth who's hurting. Friends, the relationship that should drive our view of others is not that you know I know Justin. It should be your relationship with Jesus Christ, which I hope you have. Because if you are a believer in Christ and you understand what Christ did and how valuable people are, as you understand the eternal value of every man and woman, regardless of background or color that you see, you will have a different perspective. And this is what I'm talking about today. This is why grace, not race, is, is the solution to what we're dealing with because people need to look at the eternal value of somebody. You know, another thing I'm starting to see right now that, that just makes me sick is people are posting about George Floyd. Well, here's his rap sheet. Here's all the crimes he committed. Here's the things he did. And some of them are pretty bad. Others are saying, well, did you see the coroner's report? Uh, he had drugs in his system. You know, his rap sheet, it's true. He had drugs in his system. That's true, too. But what else is true is there was injustice. A man was killed by those who should have been protecting him. And what else is true is that he is a man who has eternal value created in the image of God, and his life was not treated as such. If you want to talk about rap sheets that people have, every single one of us here, including this pastor in this pulpit, has a rap sheet. Because the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10 tells us. Every single one of us is a sinner deserving of judgment of God. And what Romans 5.8 tells us is, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see people based upon the image of God or do you see people based upon other flawed Categories that the world has given us and labels to slap on somebody. Friends, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so today, to accept his gift of grace, to understand that as bad as your past may be, as many mistakes as you have made, God loves you and he died for you and he offers you the gift of eternal life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And as we're talking about relationships, I have a question for you this morning. Who do you have in your life that you can genuinely say you love who is a different color than you? If you're black, do you have any uh, white or brown friends? If you're white, do you have any black, brown, Asian, uh, Indian friends? Who do you have in your life that you can genuinely say you love who is different than you? Now, now listen carefully. I'm not telling you to run out and get a, a token friend that you can post about on, on your social media, that you can hold up as a trophy. I'm not, <coughs> I'm not telling you to go out and make somebody a project so that you can feel better about yourself. The reason I'm asking you this is because when we have a relationship with somebody else who is different than us, it changes our perspective. It changes how we view somebody when we hear their heart, when we see things from their perspective. Friends, if everyone in your circle looks like you and thinks like you, you have not only a very small circle, but you have a very dangerous circle. I see a lot of people right now on Facebook and other social media saying, if you disagree with me or say this or that, I'm going to unfriend you, and we're culling down to just our little core. 
We need to be listening to each other. We, I said earlier that there's so much I want to say today and I don't have time for. And so another thing that we're posting online with this sermon that's already there, if you're live streaming, you'll see where we normally have the sermon questions. Uh, there's a resource sheet. And we're going to link that to this message as well. So when you uh, are able to upload this, once we upload the sermon, uh, you'll be able to to click on this. And in that resource sheet, I cover a number of things. Our staff wrote these as well. Uh, Cameron and Jason and others contributed to this. And, And we say these are some of the steps we need to take. It needs to begin with prayer. I already said, have you examined your heart? Have you gone to God and said, God, you know, look within me. Show me anything that's hidden. We need to pray. And we need to listen. What I'm talking about now, are there other people in your world who are different than you, who can give you a different perspective than you have? We need to learn. We need to learn from one another. We need to learn from resources we can read. If you're saying, Roger, I don't have anybody in my world right now that can give me a different perspective. We've listed on this resource sheet a number of articles and books that are written by godly minorities who can give you some different perspective and some action steps you can begin to take. And then you can speak. I said last week before I preached this sermon, uh, last week on Pentecost, I was talking about how I just said I need to be still and and know that God is God. The Bible tells us be still and know that I'm God. And I, I told you that I felt a little bit like Peter wanting to speak before I had really thought it through. Have you really thought through the issues? Have you really listened? Have you really learned? Have you gotten other perspectives before you start posting. We need to forgive. But as I said earlier, we also need to lament. Don't rush to forgiveness. Don't tell people, well, as a Christian, you need to forgive this. We should just pass this over. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be a a time of healing before we say, now we're ready to forgive. But we do need to keep from getting a root of bitterness in our life. And then hope. There is hope, there is healing that God offers to us through his word and through the things that we've just talked about, the steps we can take. Now, I want to say something here that I I want you to hear very clearly. This isn't about joining the bandwagon of being woke, right? Some people are going to hear this and say, oh gosh, we're going to be a woke church now. We're going to be, you know, this is stuff we've been doing for years, For 14 years uh, that I've been here, we've had a pulpit exchange with Maranatha in Converse. I preach in the black church, and my great friend and brother, Pastor Rander Draper, comes and preaches here. We have been part of community events that are sometimes seen like the MLK March and things that you don't even know we're doing. We as a church have been dealing with the need in our own life to look inside and say, what is wrong with us? Where are the areas we have sin? And we've had sin at Wayside. The church in America has had sin all the way back. And we need to to confess sin. We need to deal with wrongs. We need to do the things that are doing. But friends, this isn't about being woke suddenly. This is about being biblical. This is what the Bible has called us to do. All of the injustice that goes all the way back to the days of the beginning of our nation where people used the Bible to justify slavery, that is garbage. That is not here in the scriptures. The system of slavery that's talked about in the scriptures was a different one 
where the people would indenture themselves in things. There were crimes against humanity as war captives and other things happened. But it was a whole different system. And when people took and said the Bible promotes slavery and this and that, that's garbage. That was sin then, it's sin now. Again, when we see people in the image of God, when we understand who he is and who people are and the eternal value they have, we will not treat others like that. I said this is about being biblical. All throughout the scriptures, we see where Christians learn the customs and ways of the community around them in order to better love the people and then ultimately to share the love of God with others. You can read in Acts chapter 6 where the Hellenistic and the Hebrew Jews uh, were, were not together. The Hellenistic or Greek Jews were different than the, the Hebrew Jews. And so there was racism even in the Jewish a group. There was a separation of the Jews from the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And, and the solution there came as Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ himself went to Samaria. And you remember that there, uh, he not only proclaimed the fulfillment of the promises of God, that the Messiah had come. But we see him modeling for us about reaching across racial lines as he sat down at what would have been the segregated lunch counter of that day. And he said to a Samaritan woman, will you share a cup with me? As you read John 4, 9, she says to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Read Acts chapter 10 and see where God sent the apostle Peter down to uh, Cornelius. Remember, he was a Gentile. And Peter said, he's unclean. And so God gave him a vision with the sheet coming down and the unclean foods. And he says, eat these things. And Peter says, I'm a good Jew. I can't eat that stuff. It's unclean. And God showed him through the vision that people are not unclean like the Gentiles. And Peter went and he ate with the Gentiles. And he preached the good news of the gospel. As God was at work in the early church, he was building bridges among the different groups. And it was often in homes and it was often around meals. And so as, as we think about, when I asked you, who are the people you have in your world? Who are the relationships, the people you genuinely love? How about when is the last time you even shared a meal with somebody who is different than you? When have you gotten coffee and sat down with somebody who is different than you and said, talk to me? Tell me about your your life and experience. Now, again, let me be uh, clear here. Be careful. Don't say, uh, I'm listening. Tell me what it's like to be black. I mean, your heart may be in the right way when you do that, but that's, that's not how you approach these relationships. When I sit down with a person who is black or brown or any other uh, difference in me, I don't say, hey, talk to me about your experience in such and such racial group. I look at a man who is a father like I am. And I say, tell me about your kids. Tell me about your dreams for your kids. Tell me about your hopes. Tell me about your fears. And we connect on a level, not as a white and a black person, Uh, We connect on a level that says, I'm a father like you, and I love my family, and I love my kids, and I have hopes and fears for them. And as we share our dreams and hopes, uh, we find we're a lot alike. Now, there are things that are different as well. 
when I sit down with a black man and he tells me, Roger, I have to teach my kids what it's like when they get stopped by a cop because I'm afraid that they could be killed. Now, because I come from the perspective and the background of having been a cop, I listen. I don't just say anything initially, but I'll also say to them, you know what? I understand that fear because I've taught my kids what they need to do when they're stopped by a cop. I tell them, turn on the dome light. Put your hands on the steering wheel. Don't move around. You can say, well, I'm just reaching down here to get my license or something. As a policeman's walking up on the car, he doesn't know if you're reaching for your license, your lipstick, or a gun. And so I tell my kids, put your hands on the wheel. You wait. When they get up there, you say to them, officer, I'm going to get my license out of my back pocket and on and on. But I can understand that as a black man, he says, I'm fearful that my kid is going to be the next hashtag. And that is a legitimate fear. But again, I don't try to get to know him at that level. I talk to him as a person. And then they will often say to me, Roger, tell me about your, your background. You seem different. Why? And as I tell my story, I've heard, you've heard some parts of it as I've shared it. I grew up in an abusive home. I was kicked out on the street at 16. I grew up in extreme poverty. My parents were immigrants to the U.S. from France and Canada. I'm a first-generation American. I understand the struggle of many of the Hispanics and the immigration issue because I lived it as a white person. I understand some of the, the pain of desegregation because I lived it as I was in Dallas and I was bused across town. And I was the white people, uh, two busloads that were brought into a minority school where we were told, you're not welcome, you're the rich white people. And I'm like, no, we're actually the poor ones who couldn't flee to the suburbs or go to private school. I know what it's like to walk along the halls with your back to the locker and be afraid to go into the locker room because you're going to get beat up. But I don't understand the, the, the struggle that happened in Little Rock and things where you see the horrible pictures when the first blacks were going in for desegregation. But again, as they get to know me, they say, you're different. And you know, I'm sorry, I thought you were just one of those white people that had all that privilege. And so as we get to know each other on a real and a personal level, we stop coming up with categories and we start to see people. And we start to see the value of the individual. And so that's what I'm talking about today. That I want you to, to humble yourself, to come with a posture of listening and learning. And as you linger in the living room of another person, as you have coffee with friends, as you share stories, you'll, you'll see what shapes each other's lives and it will help you to know and understand them. Now let me warn you about something. Not everybody's going to like this. You know, we see that in the Bible. After Peter went to the house of Cornelius, remember the Judaizers in the church came in and said, you shouldn't be eating with Gentiles. You can read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12 where we see the prejudice and then the peer pressure that caused Peter to stop eating with the Gentiles. And, you know, it even caused Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, the guy who's named the son of encouragement? Barnabas fell into hypocrisy and he stopped eating with these Gentiles because of the pressure of others in the church. I personally face this kind of criticism. I face this kind of pressure. Not just from people in society, from people here in the pews of Wayside. I'm thankful to say that our church is different today than it's been in the past, but we have still not fully arrived. I still get people who say to me, Pastor, our church shouldn't be doing this, or why are we doing this or that? That's sin. 
And when people say those things, don't join their hypocrisy. Don't fall into that uh, camp of, of the approval of man versus the approval of God. Keep doing what God wants you to do. When it comes to this issue and what does God want us to do, it's not a new problem. And the solution is the same now as it was in the, the beginning. You can read in Ephesians chapter 2 where it tells us in verses 11 through 18, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision. That word is actually a racial slur. That was the, the worst word you could use in the day. So they're saying, you Gentiles, you're this. You're the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both groups into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both our access in one spirit to the Father. The illustration that is here is one that the first century audience reading this epistle knew very well. It's speaking of the temple in Jerusalem. And if you went up onto the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, this is what you would see. There's the, the Holy of Holies in the inner temple, but you see there's a series of courtyards. And then where that arrow is pointing is what was called the Court of the Gentiles. If you were a God-fearing Gentile, God had directed when his house was built that there would be a place of worship and prayer for those who were non-Jews to be able to come. But their court area was out in that far area. You see that wall just below the arrow. That was called the soreg or the balustrade. And it was literally a wall of separation. And it said that no Gentile was to go beyond that wall. And if they did, they would have their, their death would be on their own head. They would, they, it was the death penalty to come beyond that wall of separation. Now, if you were a Jewish person, you could come into that next courtyard. And then if you were a Jewish woman, you could go through what was called the beautiful gate into the court of women, that next courtyard that you see there. But again, as a Jewish woman, there was a wall of separation because that was as far as you could go. If you were a Jewish man, you would go through the next gate into what was called the court of the Israelites. And you could go into this area, but even you as a Jewish man had a wall of separation a physical barrier that reminded you that you were separated from God. And that wall was this rail in front of uh, the place where the court of the priests were, where they would offer the sacrifices for sin. And so there were reminders again of separation, separation. We are separated from God. We're separated from one another. But then you could go, uh, a small amount of priests who had special duty would go beyond that court of priests into the inner temple. And even there, there was a separation because you had the veil that you see at the back of the inner temple. And that, that, that veil separated the holy of holies where the presence of God dwelt. 
And that was as far as you could come, except once a year, the high priest would go behind the veil carrying the blood of the offering that he would apply to the mercy seat. Now that blood of the sacrifices did not remove the penalty of sin. It was simply a down payment. It kept the account current, so to speak. It was a sign of what was owed, the blood that ultimately Jesus Christ had to shed on the cross as the permanent and perfect sacrifice, the one who in John 129 were told, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is what Jesus Christ did. He became the one who removed the separation of us from God. And he, he removed the wall of separation between uh, man to man, the races. As he said, the Jews and the Gentiles have been brought together into one new entity called the church. Jesus is the one who said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He provided the way home to heaven for all of us. And as believers in Christ, he calls on us today to continue to build bridges in our day. There's a day coming in heaven where things are going to be made as they should. We read in Revelation 7, 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. This is a glimpse of what is going to happen in heaven where every tribe and nation and people, every race will stand before God and we will be there in perfection. Our sin nature is gone. The sin of racism is gone. We are glorified and perfect. But friends, God doesn't want us to wait until we get home to heaven to start enjoying the richness and the diversity of the relationship he's created us to have now. And so he calls on us as believers today to be those who are bridge builders, to be those who take the good news of the gospel to others, to be those who deal with the sin in our own heart first. And then we say to God, would you change me? Would you make me an agent of change? Would you help me to be a messenger of grace and peace to the world? So as we close today, I want to go to God in prayer. And I want you just to take this time for a moment to ask God to begin to work in your heart, to change you and make you uh, the person that he calls us to be, those messengers of grace and those bridge builders. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for loving us, loving us so much that you were willing to leave your throne in heaven to save us. We thank you, Jesus, you were willing to undergo the violence that you endured in order to shed your blood to be the payment, the sacrifice for our sins. We thank you, God, for that gift of grace you offer to all. And I pray, God, if there's anyone who's not yet received that gift of grace, they would turn to you today and they would find eternal life in you. And Lord God, for those of us who have come to faith in you, who have been recipients of grace, would you move us? Would you help us to leave what has been comfortable for us? Would we put aside any categories that we may have? Would we see everyone as you do, created in your image? Men and women, people of deep and eternal value. Would you help us, God, to search our hearts, to confess our sins? Would we be those who would love others and be bridge builders? We ask, God, that you would heal our land. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you again for worshiping with us. I encourage you to go online, look at those resources, look at that other message, and begin to have God work in your life and heart to be these bridge builders. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.